Hello friends, this is Pastor Creighton. Thank you for listening to New Song Church's sermon podcast. New Song Church exists to lift high Jesus Christ in Port Perry as we worship, grow, and serve. We'd love to connect with you. You can find our contact information at newsongportperry.ca. Today we continue our sermon series, The Gospel According to Samuel. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? So, Father, give us grace to receive with weakness or meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. Grant that we would be doers of the word and not hearers only. And God, grant us grace to seek first the kingdom, and your righteousness. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. We continue today our journey through First and Second Samuel to find the gospel in it. Last week, we uh, encountered First Samuel chapter 8 where Israel is asked for a king like all the nations. The king they got was Saul. And Saul, in today's reading, has been given a mission from the Lord, Israel's covenant God and the king eternal, to whom all obedience is owed, has given Saul a task. Today we saw that Saul refused to follow through in full obedience to God's word. And when Samuel, the prophet, catches up with him, Saul is self-congratulatory, self-deceived, self-interested, and so much so that his greeting to Samuel, as one commentator puts it, is downright jaunty. Saul has not taken into account the full measure of his failure, nor considered the consequences that follow. In our experience of Christian discipleship, are we wary of our own inclination towards Saul's sort of partial obedience? Are we self-satisfied with half-hearted measures? We might say the words of the confession that apart from grace there is no health in us, but do our hearts acknowledge the weight of this reality? Do we keep up the appearance of doing what God wants, going to church and serving on committees, giving to charity, all good things, but do we do them without a heart that longs after God and who he is? 1 Samuel chapter 15 makes it uncomfortably clear to God's people. Partial obedience to God's word is wholly disobedient. That is W-H-O-L-L-Y, wholly disobedient. Thus, partial, disobedi- partial obedience, which is really disobedience, rightly deserves the Lord's rejection. So friends, we continue this journey and find ourselves in 1 Samuel 15, but I'd like to make a confession. I don't like 1 Samuel 15. Do you ever find a passage of scripture you just don't like and sometimes would prefer to skip over? I don't like it because it confronts my own self-satisfaction. God's word in 1 Samuel 15 doesn't let me off the hook It doesn't let my own inner Saul's inclination towards self-congratulating half-measures off the hook. 
See, I would rather take the easy road of partial obedience and obey God's word only when it makes me feel good about myself or when it's not too inconvenient for me or when it doesn't ask too much of me rather than take the costly road of full obedience. But saints, as with other scriptures, I don't have to like 1 Samuel 15 to submit to it as God's true and trustworthy word. After all, I believe there's good news for us here. Where partial obedience results in rejection, full obedience results in a greater glory than I can now imagine. And it's only by God's generous grace that we could hope to put full obedience into practice, which means that my obedience has more to do with what God has done for me than what I can do for God. And friends, that's good news. That's the grace of full obedience on display here. So I encourage you to turn with me to 1 Samuel 15. If you've got your service bullet in front of you, if you've got your Bible or your Bible app, go ahead and turn there. What's going on in 1 Samuel 15? Well, Israel has asked for a king like all the nations. We saw that last week in chapter 8, and the king they got was Saul. Samuel is directed by God to anoint Saul as king over Israel in chapter 10. And while Saul is initially faithful to the Lord, and he commands Israel to military victories against their brutal enemies, his character is ultimately found out. He's dishonest. He's arrogant. He's people-pleasing. He's self-centered. And in chapter 13, Saul is willfully and openly disobedient to God's clear command. And Samuel's subsequent rebuke tells us that Saul's poor character disqualifies him from being king over God's people. Saul may win military victories like the kings of other nations, but his heart is far from the humble and obedient king over Israel that God is calling him to be. So here we are in chapter 15. Verses 1 to 3, Samuel delivers a mission from God to Saul. It's time to destroy the Amalekites completely. Leave nothing standing. Take no spoil. Now, at this point, this kind of divine mandate can raise for us some questions about God's character. These are important questions, too. Surely, we may think a loving God can't command this kind of annihilation. Now, the truth is this question will have to be a sermon for another Sunday, but I want us to acknowledge something from God's Word at this point. This mandate is not a matter of capricious ill will on God's part towards the Amalekites, just like God arbitrarily doesn't like this people. Rather, this mandate is a matter of executing divine justice, justice to which all nations, including Israel, are subject. The Amalekites are the archetypical plunderers, as one commentator puts it. And in verse 2, the voice of the Lord says, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. See, the Amalekites attacked a fledgling Israel when they were fleeing slavery in Egypt in Exodus 17. And God promised then that the demands of justice would one day be met. And today's the day. So imagine that a vulnerable person was assaulted and the judge threw out the case on the grounds that it would be really rather unloving to punish the wrongdoer. What would that say about the character of the judge? See, God's love and God's justice are not opposed to one another. 
No, God can only be considered truly loving or benevolent if God answers injustice. So the point is this. Saul is given clear instructions from God. Perform justice. Destroy the Amalekites. It's time for the king of God's people, Israel, to obey the word of the Lord. But what happens? Verse 9, just before our reading. Saul and the people spared Agag the king, and the best of the sheep, and the oxen, and the fattened calves, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. Saul, as king of Israel, has been partially obedient. Sure, he's battled against the Amalekites. Sure, he's spared their king, perhaps as a prize, and together with the people, took the best of the cattle rather than devoting them all to destruction. But the Lord makes it clear. Saul's partial obedience is wholly disobedient. Saul, therefore, is rightly rejected as king of Israel. There's no partial credit for partial obedience. So we pick it up in verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. So right off the bat, what does scripture mean by God's regret? What does it mean that God regrets making Saul king? Has God made a whoopsie-daisy? So it's puzzling to consider, especially when verse 29 tells us that our sovereign God does not have regret like human beings. So the Hebrew word here can be translated to repent, relent, or be sorry. And at first reading, it can sound like God's made a mistake. And God wants to go back in time and make a different decision. But this is not a divine mistake. God does not make whoopsie-daisies, nor is he surprised by the outcome of his decisions. I think Genesis chapter 6 gives us a clue to the meaning of God's regret. We see here this word used in the introduction to the flood narrative, where God saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and Genesis says the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Was God surprised by the wickedness of fallen humanity? No. God knew perfectly well the consequences of humanity's sin before creation and before the foundation of the earth, God purposed himself to create humanity even though we would fall into sin because he himself was equally committed to our redemption. But God's foreknowledge does not exclude a feeling of regret, feeling grieved that humanity suffers under the yoke of sin's corruption and devastation at all. So here the Lord regrets making Saul king. He's not surprised by Saul's turning away and disobedience, nor are there things that are beyond God's control. But divine foreknowledge does not stop God from experiencing the real grief of witnessing the corruption and devastation of Saul's sin manifested in his disobedience. Friends, I think that's a comforting thought. For those of us who feel grieved, or for those of us who burn with the feeling of injustice, God is no, not so transcendent, so unlike us, that he cannot feel what it is that we are feeling. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, nothing comes as a surprise to God, but God can enter with us into that feeling of grief, just like God feels grieved as Samuel feels grieved. So Samuel is sent to confront Saul in verses 12 to 23. And when Samuel arrives on the scene, he's made aware that this disobedient king has set up a monument for himself. Did you catch that in verse 12? He receives a greeting from Saul that's not 
Uh, that's nothing if not equally self-congratulatory. Saul says to Samuel, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Hey, Samuel, did you see what an amazing job I did? I'm awesome. I did everything God asked me to. I am amazing. Are there times where we expect to be recognized or rewarded simply for performing the Lord's command? Do we build our own monuments to our own piety? Maybe the Lord's words ring in our ears, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Saul is busy congratulating himself on his amazing job, but Samuel hears the sound of the unslaughtered cattle nearby. The fact is, Saul rendered God's command only partial obedience, which is really to say, Saul disobeyed God's clear command. Samuel challenges Saul in his disobedience in verse 14, but Saul shifts the blame. Well, the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. And again in verse 20, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, but the people took the spoil, verse 21. Saul's story is clearly contrary to what God's word tells us to be true in verse 9, that Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep. See, it's not my fault, Samuel. I did the best I could. It's the people's fault that the spoils are still here. Maybe we can see that blame shifting so often follows disobedience. Do we shift the blame for our partial obedience? Well, I, I would have done what you wanted, God, but so-and-so is such a jerk. You can't seriously expect me to love my neighbor. It's not my fault. The woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree. I ate. Do we rationalize our partial obedience to justify ourselves? Do we dress up disobedience to make it look like obedience? See, that's what Saul does. The people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord. They did it for a good reason, Samuel. They were going to sacrifice. They were going to worship. Maybe it's not what God asked for, but they did it for a good cause. It's a little like saying, sure, I embezzled money. I committed fraud, but I was going to give it to the church. Well, maybe some of it to the church. See, the wild thing about sin is not so much that we commit it, but that our own sinful and self-deceived hearts so often tell us that we are doing an amazing job for God while we're doing exactly what God condemns in his word. Like Saul, we can slip into self-congratulations for our own disobedience. Samuel makes it clear to a king whose partial obedience is really disobedience. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Saul, for all your pious trappings and self-congratulations, you have missed completely the heart of the matter. This is a matter of your heart. 
You think God's content with burnt offerings and sacrifices and outward elaborate displays of self-styled piety. But God is only content with a heart that is set upon full obedience to his word. Anything short of full obedience is disobedience. It's rebellion, iniquity, and idolatry. And it's rightly rejected by the Lord. So in verses 24 to 31, Saul expresses his own regret and confesses his sin to Samuel. Now we ought to keep in mind that sincere repentance is always met with God's forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can take that promise to the bank. But that doesn't mean that the damage done in committing the sin in the first place is thereby erased. See, Saul's confession is two things. One, it's too little too late. Saul's partial obedience has been exposed as what it is, disobedience. And so he's disqualified himself from the office of king. It's a little like a judge caught, riled up in bribery and corruption, miscarrying justice. This judge can be exposed. This judge can say, I'm sorry, but this judge has no business sitting on the bench anymore. The kingdom has been torn away from Saul and will be given to someone better who will meet in the next chapter. Saul's confession is too little, too late. His confession is also self-serving and not genuine. Let's look at verse 30. Saul begs Samuel not to leave him, but to come with him. I have sinned, Saul says. Sure, I've done the wrong thing. Yet honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. In other words, Saul is saying, it's true, I messed up, but I still want your public support, Samuel. I'm still about building up my kingdom. Saul is, in a way, still building up monuments to himself, isn't he? Saul has failed. And it's because Saul has failed that Samuel carries out the justice that Saul didn't perform. And in a sobering scene, verses 32 to 33, Samuel executes King Agag. And we see in the reading, or pardon me, we end the reading where we started. The Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. The Lord is deeply grieved by Saul's disobedience. Samuel here understands partial obedience is wholly disobedient. And disobedience is rightly rejected by God. So what does this word in 1 Samuel 15 mean for us at New Song today? If partial obedience is wholly disobedient and rightly rejected by God, then the inverse must be true. Full obedience is rightly accepted by God. And in fact, as the scripture witnesses, it's the only thing that can be accepted by a holy God who calls his people to be perfect as he is perfect. So, disobedient sinners, obey harder. Pull up your bootstraps this week and really, really obey this time. Anyone who's honest with themselves enough to recognize their own sinful and fallen spiritual resemblance to Saul acknowledges their own inclination to self-deception, self-interest, 
and self-congratulations. We are not above patting ourselves on the back for doing an amazing job for God while we're doing exactly what God condemns in his word. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So where does that leave us before God? Left to ourselves, we cannot supply the full obedience that God's word demands and save ourselves from rejection. But where we have failed, like Saul has failed, there is one who remains faithful. The Apostle Paul writes this, By the one man's obedience, the many, that's us, will be made righteous, that is, acceptable before a holy and perfect God. Does ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. All we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on him, his suffering servant Jesus, the iniquity of us all. See, Christ steps into our place and serves as our mediator. And his full and perfect obedience to his Father satisfies God's righteous demand on our behalf. Where Saul pridefully sets up a monument to himself and renders only partial obedience, which is really disobedience, Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Christians refuse to place our trust in the self-righteousness that our own partial obedience supplies. Instead, we place our trust in the full obedience of Jesus, our Savior. And by faith in him, Christ's full obedience is credited to us as righteousness. And yes, we are called to obey God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The saving grace of Christ does not leave us indifferent to God's word, but it is by grace that Christ, through his indwelling Holy Spirit, enables us to live the life of obedience that we otherwise cannot. And when we fall short of full obedience, which, like Saul, we sinners will, we come to God not building our own monuments, but in humble repentance, resting assured that by His grace, our sin is forgiven. So complete is the Holy Spirit's work of renewal in our lives that even our motives for repentance are cleansed and sanctified. Fear of God's rejection is exchanged for the assurance of our Heavenly Father's forgiveness. Christ being our witness. So saints, your obedience to God relies more upon what God has done for you in Christ than what you can do for God on your own power. Let your heart long after him. Let grace bulldoze self-satisfaction and half measures of partial obedience. And in the context of repentance and renewal, come to the Father's arms. Keep his commandments in love. And find by his grace a renewed heart. So, Lord, we pray, teach us full obedience.
for Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We worship a generous God who calls us to follow him in giving willfully, cheerfully, and sacrificially. New Song Church's mission and ministry is 100% funded by the generous gifts of those worshiping and journeying with us. If you'd like to offer a gift towards New Song's ministry, please visit newsongportperry.ca slash giving for more information on how to do that. May God bless you and keep you today and every day.